Welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast. My name is Toby Webb. Joining me in today's podcast are some esteemed figures from the textile industry. So, Lorraine Pepper is here. She's the CEO of Textile Exchange, joined by Claire Bergkamp, who's the COO of Textile Exchange, and also Megan Stoneburner, who's just joined TE to work on various issues. So, Megan, tell us what you're going to be doing at Textile Exchange. Yeah, so thank you very much for having us. And as a recent member and leader of Textile Exchange, I'm supporting and leading the Department of Fibers and Materials. So really helping to build out strategy and development of strategy across the various fiber categories, supporting and leading the fiber round tables, as well as then helping to launch the newly developed fibers and materials matrix. Great, thanks. So you won't be short of things to do then in the coming years. Lorraine, welcome back to the podcast. Tell us briefly what Textile Exchange has been up to since we last spoke about six months ago. Very keen to get a bit of an update. Then we'll hear for a bit more from Claire and from Megan about the ins and outs of recycled or unrecycled polyester and its impacts on the environment, which is the subject of today's podcast. But meanwhile, I'd love to hear your overview of what TE has been up to since we last spoke. Thanks, Toby, for having us here. It's great to keep you informed about the next steps that are happening with our Climate Plus strategy. We're excited about driving and being a part of giving tools and resources to the industry to get to that 45% reduction in greenhouse gases. As a result, we're diving deeper, not only within each of our core fibers. We've talked about cotton already. We're talking about poly today. We're doing some really amazing work on mapping for regenerative practices and what it means to really take all of our land-based fibers to that next step. We're taking next steps and deeper dives with each one of our members on like, what is your fiber strategy across this portfolio? And we're seeing growth both in the adoption of those preferred fibers as well as adoption of standards so that we're doing it in a meaningful way. So lots of good things happen on a direction of travel and of course, plenty of work to do as you well know. Thanks, Lorraine. So, Claire, welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to assume, listener, that you know a bit about what polyester is. But, Claire, give us the headlines about polyester. What is it and how is it made? And then let's talk a bit about the climate impact. So polyester is the most widely used fiber in the textile and fashion industry. It makes up around almost 58% of all the fibers that are used in a year. So it is our biggest market share, at least in volume of use. Polyester is a synthetic, so it comes from fossil fuels. It's a non-renewable resource. It's mostly made from petroleum. However, the recycled polyester share is slowly growing, although not quick enough. So traditional polyester is a petrochemical process, a synthetic plastic, it's the same uh, chemical composition as plastic water bottles. And recycled polyester is traditionally made out of recycled plastic water bottles, PET. So that's maybe the very high level basics of what polyester is. And the aim that we have, as Laura was saying, in our Climate Plus strategy is to help the industry move away from virgin polyester to recycled polyester and to move again beyond the just using of recycled plastic water bottles to create polyester into a space and place where we're actually seeing textiles made from polyester being able to be re-recycled into new textiles made from polyester, really closing that loop and enabling textile to textile recycling. Thanks. And so what's the climate impact of polyester at the moment. How accurate is our understanding of that? The climate impact is significant. And I think that, you know, like with everything that we're looking at, 
the data is complicated. The data that sits behind how we think about the impact of polyester is primarily based actually on a life cycle analysis study that was done um, for Plastics Europe's which is a European manufacturer. It doesn't probably capture kind of the full nuance of polyester when it comes to impact because it's not based out of the Asian context where most of the world's polyester is actually made. And with recycled polyester LCAs, there's some good ones out there, but right now the functional units within them, you know, between pellets and fibers and yarns are not really comparable. It makes it difficult to kind of compare against these different life cycle analysis studies to really understand what these impacts are and how we need to move things forward. But one thing is clear, despite that, is that recycled polyester, which is typically right now mechanically recycled polyester, that polyester that's made from plastic water bottles, is a significant reduction in impact, which is why we've set up our Recycled Polyester Challenge, which we launched in collaboration with the UNFCCC just a few months back, asking companies to commit to transforming 17.1 million metric tons of virgin polyester to recycled polyester by 2025 to help accelerate that transition towards a lower carbon world when it comes to polyester. I don't know, Megan, if you want to add anything in on that. Yeah. And I think just for additional context, the growing market share of recycled polyester continues to increase year over year. So there's great momentum to continue to build off of this. And then additionally, looking at some of the surveys collected in terms of industry participation, we're noticing that around or almost 50% of brand participants are setting commitments to increase the use of recycled polyester, sustainable polyester solutions up to 100%. So we feel like this is in line with where the industry is heading, but just trying to really drive convergence to make sure that we're doing so quicker than kind of the current trajectory. So just to clarify, this 17.1 million tons figure sounds like a lot. Is it a lot? What's the context for it? Where does that figure come from and what proportion does it represent? Uh, 17.1 million metric tons would mean that we would bring up the percentage of recycled polyester from 14%, which is where it's at roughly now, around 14% of the world's polyester is recycled, to 45% in 2025, based on assumption of growth. I think we use the 3% assumption of growth year on year, but we're actually hoping that that 3% is able to come down to around 1% uh, to help us actually get within the planetary boundaries that we need to achieve. And so that 45% gets us basically halfway to where we need to get if we want to see the 45% of recycled polyester. I'm going to use 45% a few times here, so not to confuse it. But that 45% of the world's polyester being recycled gets us on track to achieving the 45% reduction in greenhouse gases that we need to achieve by 2030. So it is a significant amount. Right now, the apparel industry uses around 32 million tons of uh, the world's polyester. Uh, there's around 57 million tons of PET polyester in the world every year, but not all of it goes into the apparel industry. Only around 32 million tons, which is still a huge amount, is going in. And as we said, that's around almost 58% of all the fibers being used in the industry. So the key word with recycling, well, there are many, one of them is infrastructure. How will that acceleration happen and what's the role in increasing infrastructure for business in making that happen? I think one example in terms of textile exchange supporting industry and really thinking about this from a systems change perspective is the development and kind of acceleration of our roundtables. So we have 
participants from various parts of the industry specifically focused on this material. So an RPET focused round table, inclusive of suppliers, of brand participants, of various NGO partners, those within the field conducting research to come together to say, how do we accelerate the use of this material through continued research? And then as well as identifying kind of those gaps and opportunities to allow us to get there and to reach this goal. So it's extremely beneficial. We've been mapping the supplier network across the recycled polyester supply chain, as well as then identifying opportunities to drive innovation for it as well. Is there a role for extended producer responsibility schemes to take a position here? I was speaking to someone recently who pointed out in the UK, we're seeing EPR schemes coming on stream that say, if you place something on the market, you're responsible for it at curbside, at least in theory. And I know that it's very complicated, but I just wonder what your views are on the sort of policy side and the incentive side to actually make more of the collection and recycling happen. And I know that varies by country, of course. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it, is that there needs to be a region-based approach. And I think that there isn't one entity that's responsible for all. I really do think we have to look at this as a larger network in terms of how we all participate and build the strategy and development opportunities together. And I think that's one of the primary intentions and focus of these roundtables is to say, how do we course correct and then provide new opportunities for all to participate in? On the policy side, we are seeing a lot of movement in general when it comes to interest from governments around increasing the responsibility of companies when it comes to their environmental footprint. And I do think that the extended producer responsibility uh, will be a big part of that. As I kind of mentioned earlier, we do need to see that growth in the sense of new products and new raw materials always entering the marketplace gets slowed down. And durability and longevity of products is going to play a big role in that. It's going to be a full transformation we need to see of business models. We need to see that things aren't being created to be disposed of, that we're moving away from a model of disposable fashion. Fashion should be a more durable good than that, or textiles in general. And that we need to see that, again, there is that infrastructure on all points of this, not only from a responsibility point of view, but also kind of just a market shift. And I think the policy can play a really big role in that. From a technical point of view on the recycling side, I imagine if you've got a number of garments that are 100% polyester, it's not that complex to recycle them given the PET recycling technologies that we have there. But is there an issue when there are mixed fibers? Yeah, it's certainly more complicated. You know, most of the world's recycled polyester right now comes from recycled PET plastic water bottles, which is a mechanical recycling process. Um, However, over the past few years, we have seen more of a transition towards technologies that allow for chemical recycling. So a recycling technology that actually breaks down a polyester to its chemical compound and rebuilds it, and in the process is able to purify it at the same time. And so when it comes to blends, those chemical recycling technologies do start to solve for some of that but it depends on the blend and the percentages. You know, a 50-50 blend is going to be harder than 5% in something that's not polyester blended in with polyester. There's been a lot of improvements in this area, and I think that we're on the cusp of some really exciting innovations starting to scale. And I really hope that is what we're on the cusp of because there is incredible stuff out there. But what we need is we need to see scale now. You know, we have proven solutions. We know that there's technologies out there. We know that there's solutions that exist. We just really need the marketplace to kind of double down on what's working. And that may also include governments doubling down on what's working to really push for that scale. 
Is it your view, Claire and Megan, that companies should be more outspoken on the chemical recycling issue? I ask this because in our work in plastics, chemical recycling comes up a lot, but it's a bit like carbon offsetting in the sense that nobody really wants to talk about it. Whatever we can't do, we'll do with that technology. It seems like a bit of a tricky area. And I know a lot of the campaign groups don't like it because they feel like it can be seen as a high energy chemical-based solution to mass consumption. And I wondered what your conversations are like with members and between yourselves about how chemical recycling should be positioned and how it should fit in to the circular economy debate. I think that we essentially at this point in time can't really fairly kind of assess chemical recycling of polyester and synthetics because it continues to evolve as an innovation and we're seeing different methods on the market that we do have the responsibility of ensuring that we're tracking data and understanding impacts of these new kind of various methods but i think we need to continue to push innovation and to continue as an industry to advance these new technologies and solutions to ensure that they're continuing to support durability. And that's one of the main benefits of chemically recycled polyester is that it is more durable and does last longer, but also that we're using safe chemistry and that we're looking at energy solutions that support better impact outcomes. So I think that this is one area where collaboration of investment into these pilots and understanding how we can improve is really important from an industry perspective and not just an innovator perspective. I couldn't agree more with that. And I would also add that I think the important message out to the industry is that recycling and closing the loop is not a license to continue to produce disposable products. Right now, there's a huge amount of unused, unrecycled things on the planet. And so to match demand, we can mine what we already have without needing to have more virgin extraction and virgin materials in certain cases, especially in synthetic and technical, quote unquote, technical nutrients. But I do think that it's an important point that you brought up, Toby, around the fact that it's not a license to just create things that are going to be discarded. Um, And that's certainly not the conversation or the kind of message that we want to be putting out there. But as Megan said, it's a full system shift here. It's around making sure that renewable energy is being used, making sure that the technologies that do scale are ones that are low impact in every way they can be. I've personally seen chemical recycling solutions out there for polyester that don't require any heat input, for example. There's a lot of innovation in this space. And it is, again, about making sure that we're backing the innovators, the the people that are out there that can solve this in a holistic way, taking into consideration impact as they go. And just one other thing on this, I think this is why it's so important that we really focus on like-for-like comparisons. You know, we talk about data. So looking at and comparing polyester to polyester, looking at getting better data in on something like polyester so that we can really understand the impact and where the opportunities are for reduction within a fiber type instead of trying to compare polyester to cotton or to wool or to anything else, because that's comparing apples to oranges. What we really need to be looking at is apples to apples and solutions for reductions within each fiber type. How can we get a better take up of recycled polyester then? I guess we need consumers to be much more aware of what they should do with it. And then we need, as you've mentioned earlier, the industry to encourage its use. But is there anything you'd add to your earlier remarks about those two areas? Top of mind, I think that there's enough supply in the market right now to continue to increase. I think as we start to kind of evolve in terms of the multiple solutions, 
for sustainable polyester, we have to consider additional feedstocks. And I think that's because there's growing competition for the use of plastic bottles or PET bottles from various beverage and packaging industries as well. So there are more players, supply and demand can become an issue. So how do we also utilize textile waste and pull that into the market as feedstock potential. So that's something that we have to continue to, as we were saying, advance innovation and continue to increase the opportunity, as well as then looking at options around biosynthetics, which is still an unknown for the industry. And we haven't quite identified the opportunity because we have to make sure that we're not creating new problems by trying to solve a problem as we need to consider a agricultural best practices regarding farming, biodegradability of these materials, etc. But I think it's in general kind of looking at this transition of opening the aperture for more feedstocks to replace crude oil. That leads into a challenging but I think really important closing question, which maybe Larey, I can bring you in. As a cotton farmer, I remember at our sustainable apparel and textiles conference a couple of years ago, we had an academic from Wageningen University in the Netherlands and she said the farm of the future is food and materials under the right circumstances in the right place. Do you see that as realistic? I'd love to know your crystal ball views on Megan's last point around the kind of biomaterial angle. And I know it's more crystal ball than definite at the moment, but love to hear your thoughts in closing, Lorraine. Oh, the never ending search for the crystal ball. You know, I think it is gonna be important that we really have a strategic view on land use. And so that does mean what is the best possible use of that land and food's going to be really important. I think the fiber pieces that whether that's like biosynthetics or cotton or hemp or linen, I think we need to look to our land for best practices for regenerative and restorative things that can happen. There's a lot of things we can unlock to really mitigate climate risk and climate change through more appropriate land use. And that includes animal fibers too, when you think of all the grazing that's done. So I completely agree that there's a lot of potential by working on a more regional basis and looking at those countries of what is the best use of land here. And I think water is going to pay a key issue because so many of these areas do use a lot of irrigation and it's not just, you know, irrigation on cotton, it's irrigation on a lot of food crops and almonds and corn and soy and everything. So we're going to have to take a serious look on what's the potential yield and how do we feed a growing population. So food crops are going to become increasingly more important over, you know, the next decades. So yeah, getting it right, making sure we're using best practices, restoring and building our lands in order to have those for future generations is going to be key. And I wonder at some point, will we have the textile equivalent of the impossible burger? Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? You're right. (laughs) It's all fiber, right? (laughs) Exactly. Closing question for you, Larry. It strikes me that for some apparel and textile companies, I'm sort of grouping them all together, for the industry, shall we say, durability, which has come up during this podcast a number of times, always makes me think of Patagonia. You know, I spent the summer living in my five and 10 year old Patagonia kit, and I take great pride in repairing it. But not everyone can be like Patagonia. They've made a business model out of durability. Can the rest of the industry make a business model around that? 
I certainly hope so. We see more and more brands going that way to build quality and have repair. And what's the second life for these things? So durability is definitely uh, one of those places and spaces where we see a lot of improvement, You know, whether it's stronger socks and different weaves and twist multiples. What's the textile engineering that goes behind making that pair of jeans last longer and things like that? So the conversations are starting. I think that's really good news. So yes, I think durability and building things that last, you know, we're going to continue those conversations of making good things better. That starts at the land, it starts in spinning, you know, it goes all the way through to where that comes to the consumer and the consumer is educated as well on what is the second life for this, the hand-me-down things or just last longer. Like you said, how long have you had that Patagonia kit? I've got Patagonia jackets that my husband wore, you know, 20 years ago that are now my son's wearing. And guess what? A grandchild is starting to wear that same jacket. So yeah, building things that last are important. Great. Well, thank you all for your time. We could talk about this all day, but I know the, the listener and yourselves have limited time. So, Lorraine, <laughs> Claire, and Megan, thank you so much for your time and insight today. Uh, listener, you can find out a lot more about polyester and recycled polyester and other materials by checking out the Textile Exchange website and the fantastic technical work they do convening the industry. We also play a small role here talking about these issues at our annual conference, and I hope you can join us for that. And indeed, the Textile Exchange Conference, which I shall be at in Dublin in November, which looks fascinating. There's also another podcast that we did earlier this year looking at cotton. So if you want to know about cotton, you can listen to Larray and I chat about that earlier this year by searching for it on the Innovation Forum website or on your podcast app. Meanwhile, I hope this has been a useful podcast for everyone. I've certainly learned a lot. So Larray, Claire and Megan, thank you so much for your time today. Can I add one other thing? Can I ask that any brands that are listening, if they haven't already signed on to the Recycled Polyester Commitment and Challenge, to please contact us and sign up because we really do need everyone to join together to make this transition happen. Perfect. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you. And yeah, it's such an ambitious target that's been set, but it sounds like one that's achievable, which is amazing. So yeah, I can only second that. And thanks again for your time.